and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Hello. So much to say. We have so much to say. It feels like forever since we last recorded an episode together. But really, it has only been like over a week, I think. Yeah, just over a week. We pre-recorded our interview with Jade, which was our last episode. Right. Well, I've missed chatting to our dear listeners about the history behind our favorite musicals. So have I. But we should probably tell the folks at home that this is our last show history episode. For season three. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. This is our last show history episode of season three. And it's one of my favorites about far off places, daring sword fights, and a prince in disguise. So in case you couldn't tell, Chrissy wrote the script for this episode. So you can all know that in advance. (laughs) Yeah. And it took longer than I expected because I got distracted by photos of the gorgeous, gorgeous Terrence Mann. But really, this is one of my favorite musicals. Uh, You know when you have like a show that you really love and you're like, damn, I wish I had seen the original Broadway production because even though it constantly plays all over the world, nothing will ever compare. That is how I feel about Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Mm, It's a good one. It is a really good one. It reminds me of like my favorite era of Broadway, late 90s to like mid 2000s great era of Broadway. <laughs> you know, anything from the Mencken songbook, I'm going to enjoy. Oh, yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Well, before we get started, we want to dedicate this episode to Broadway's grandma. I feel like she raised all of us from the 80s and 90s with her iconic voice, Dame Angela Lansbury, who passed away a little over a month ago before her 97th birthday. Mm. Forever our Mrs. Potts. Amen. Amen. With that being said, let's go right into the history behind Disney's first Broadway musical. Once upon a time in a faraway land, an enchantress turned a cruel prince into a hideous beast. To break the spell, the beast must learn to love another and earn her love in return, before the last petal falls from an enchanted rose. Based on the hit 1991 Disney animated feature, Beauty and the Beast tells the story of Belle, a beautiful and intelligent young woman who feels out of place in her provincial French village. When her father is imprisoned in a mysterious castle, Belle's attempt to rescue him leads to her capture by the Beast. The Beast's enchanted household is populated by Mrs. Potts, a teapot, Lumiere, a candlestick, Clogsworth, a clock, and Chip, a teacup who watch anxiously as Belle and the Beast grow to understand and befriend one another. Their feelings continue to grow deeper as the clock ticks and petals continue to fall off of the enchanted rose. There is no way to get into the history of the Broadway production without talking about two of our favorite men, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. The two met at the BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theatre Workshop, a workshop for composers, lyricists, and librettists to meet and collaborate together. Mencken was mainly a composer, and the two instantly got along perfectly. Mencken is quoted on the Disney Plus documentary Howard, saying, My first memory of Howard is he showed up at my apartment with ripped jeans, a wife-beater shirt, and a giant leather jacket. He just walked in like he owned the place, sat on my couch, and we got to work immediately. He was very straightforward, never sugarcoated anything, and he was very passionate about his work. So much that we would never leave until we made something happen. A melody, a song lyric, something to make Howard satisfied. 
In their early years of writing, the duo wrote Little Shop of Horrors and Smile, of course, which starred Jodie Benson, who would become the star of their next work. It's important to note here that the Walt Disney Company was slowly beginning to crumble under the lack of direction following the 1966 passing of Walt Disney. He was their leader, a worldwide known visionary, and without him, their films and products began to fall in quality. Roy O. Disney, Walt's older brother, took over the company, finances, and construction for the theme parks. But it wasn't enough. The Walt Disney Company was beginning to lose money, and right when things couldn't get any worse, Roy O. Disney passed away in December of 1971. This sent the company into a downward spiral that lasted for nearly 30 years. They were on the brink of bankruptcy when a certain film kept them afloat. <laughs> afloat. <laughs> That film was The Little Mermaid. Ashman was recruited by Jeffrey Katzenberg, the chairman of the Walt Disney Studios, to help save the Disney Animation Studios. Ashman agreed to work on Disney's animated film The Little Mermaid, which he and Mankin decided to approach as though they were scoring a Broadway musical. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. As we know, the film was a massive success and changed the future of Disney animated films forever. When it was released in November 1989, The Little Mermaid earned over $6 million at the domestic box office and has since grossed more than $200 million worldwide. Critics heavily praised Ashman and Mencken's music in the film. After winning at the 62nd Academy Awards for The Little Mermaid, Ashman told fellow composer Alan Mencken they needed to talk about something important. After returning home to New York, Ashman revealed to Mencken that he was sick and had tested positive for HIV-AIDS. Following the success of Mermaid, Katzenberg resurrected an idea that had been floating around since the 1930s, a film adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. Although ill, Ashman continued to work throughout the production of Beauty and the Beast. Sadly, halfway through production, he fell even more ill until he couldn't handle being away from his home in New York. He finally told Katzenberg about his condition and said he had to quit. Jeffrey Katzenberg set up a production unit in New York City so he could receive treatment while at home, rather than traveling to Burbank, California to work on Beauty and the Beast. Ashman survived to see an early private screening of Beauty and the Beast, but sadly passed away only a few months before the cinema release of the film in 1991. Beauty and the Beast was dedicated to him, featuring the following message at the end of the closing credits. Quote, to our friend Howard, who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul, we will be forever grateful. Howard Ashman, 1950 to 1999. End quote. The film was released to immediate critical acclaim and commercial success, outperforming The Little Mermaid by becoming the highest-grossing animated film in history, as well as the first animated film to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. And of course, Academy Awards were won for Ashman and Mencken's music. Talk of a Beauty and the Beast stage adaptation began soon after the film was released in 1991, with audiences and even the press comparing it to a Broadway show. With all this talk about the possibility of a Broadway production, Alan Menken approached Disney CEO Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg about bringing one of the animated films to life on stage. Both were hesitant at first, and eventually began making phone calls to key people at Walt Disney Attractions, which oversees the company's worldwide entertainment projects, and asked them to put together a creative team to look into it. Robert Jess Roth, Stan Mayer, and choreographer Matt West were assigned to the project. The three had extensive backgrounds in professional theater before rerouting to Disney. 
At Disney, they staged many musicals for the theme parks and other Disney enterprises. It was now their task to convince Eisner and Katzenberg that the beloved film would translate well onto stage, recreating the magic that film viewers would expect to still be in the story. So we actually talked about this in our Mean Girl show history episode. When translating a beloved classic film to the stage, those elements that are standout moments in the film will either make or break the production. So Beauty and the Beast became the first Broadway show to be developed as storyboards. As the musical took shape, set designer Stan Meyer and his team created 140 detailed black and white renderings, featuring arrows to show the directions people, props, or sets moved. In July of 1992, Roth led a presentation to Disney executives in a hotel conference room. They reviewed fabric swatches, costume sketches, and illusions for the enchanted household characters. At the end of his presentation, Roth recalls Michael said, Okay, we're going to do this. With the final draft version of the script underway in 1993, the team ran into a problem. How to portray the enchanted objects on stage. Because, you know, something like a Disney park could use costumes that replicated what was seen on the screen. But for a stage production where singing and dancing was needed, that just wasn't a possibility. According to an interview with Meyer from the LA Times, the creative team chose to suggest objects rather than have them be objects. For instance, Lumiere is not a candlestick, but a man turning into a candlestick. His hands light up and his feet look like the base of a huge candelabra. This was made possible thanks to the brilliance of Anne Hould Ward. Adding more focus on the enchanted objects, the song Human Again, that Mencken and Ashman wrote originally for the film, would now make a debut in the stage production alongside five new songs. With that, the production with a cast of 38 performers and a cost of $12 million was on its way to Broadway. But first, a tryout was held at Houston's Theatre Under the Stars from November 28, 1993 to December 26, 1993. It, of course, received wonderful reviews. Beauty and the Beast began previews on March 9, 1994 at Broadway's Palace Theatre before opening on April 18th. The cast included Susan Egan as Belle, Terrence Mann as the Beast, Gary Beach as Lumiere, Tom Bosley as Belle's father, and Beth Fowler as Mrs. Potts. And at the time, the Broadway community was quite enraged by Disney entering the playing field. This mainly being caused by Disney being a massive company and there was plans underway for Disney theatrical productions to sign a deal to produce musicals with a 49-year revenue-based lease at the new Amsterdam Theater, with Disney putting in $8 million of its own for renovations. When the new Amsterdam plans were first announced, two of the Broadway theater owners, Schubert and Niederlander, were enraged at Disney's privileged position. They called on the theatrical union to boycott the company's presence, but the unions didn't bite. Many also didn't believe that Beauty and the Beast would be able to recoup. However, Disney sold almost $10,000 worth of Mm. Beauty and the Beast memorabilia at the first New York preview alone. To put more oil to the flame on the candlestick, the musical earned itself nine nominations for the 48th Annual Tony Awards in 1994, winning the Best Costume Design category. And I sure hope so, because it took around three hours alone for them to put Terrence Mann's makeup on and prosthetics. Is that crazy? Oh my god. That's... I'd be like, I'm going home now. (laughs) Right? You have to have the actor go and sit in the makeup chair for those three and a half hours of just putting on makeup before going out to do your actual job. And then, like, in between shows on a two-show day, like... 
right? I wonder Ick. if he got like well any of the folks playing the beast if they get paid more or is it like just signed in the contract that you have to take three hours out of your time to sit in the makeup they chair? should be paid more they, they should. should be paid a little fee for coming early to get all of your makeup on yeah well i'd like to know about that if anyone has the answer to that let us know because i am very interested that is another job we will rewrite itself. your contracts for you <laughs> Well, following the success on Broadway, productions over the years would be mounted in Los Angeles, Toronto, Tokyo, Melbourne, Vienna, Mexico City, and in 1997, it made the jump across the pond to London's West End. The production that played at London's Dominion Theatre estimated to cost around $10 million, becoming the most expensive show ever mounted in London at the time. That covers the cost of a 45-member cast, more than two dozen musicians and more than 200 costumes, and a recreation of the show's trademark sets, as well as an extension for the theater's backstage area to keep all of the extensive props, costumes, and makeup. In July 1998, R&B singer Toni Braxton entered final negotiations to make her Broadway debut as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Despite having several reservations, Roth forwarded his approval of the singer's casting to Disney, and the studio began collaborating with Braxton's management on developing a contract stating the singer would appear in the show for a three-month period. However, various circumstances resulted in Braxton continuously delaying to sign the contract until she met for dinner with Mencken, Rice, and West. Days after their dinner, Braxton telephoned Roth to confirm that she had finally signed the contract. It was then he learned that Rice had promised Braxton that he would write an entirely new song for her to sing in the show if she agreed to sign the paperwork. Panicked, he immediately contacted Rice, who confirmed that he in fact had agreed to write a song for Braxton, blaming himself for having consumed too much alcohol during their dinner. Rice asked for 24 hours to review the musical and see if there was in fact a moment for which he and Mencken could develop a new song, and decided to write a ballad for the second act during which Belle tells Maurice, her father, how she has changed during her stay in the Beast's castle. Thus, A Change in Me was written four years into the run. When Braxton debuted A Change in Me during her opening night on September 9, 1998, critics and audiences immediately praised the addition of the new song and Braxton's performance overall. In addition to being the first black performer to portray Belle on Broadway, Braxton was also the first black woman to star in a leading role in a Disney production across any medium. Wow. Yeah. I still don't understand how that works. So isn't there an equity law that you can't change anything after it opens? Like how did they... I, I don't know, but I think it's really funny that he was drunk and was like, yeah, I'll write another song. I will write a song I'll write a song you. for you. <laughs> Because he was drunk, and thus came A Change in Me, which is probably one of the most sung songs in drama schools song in across it, though, the world. Well. It is one of the best songs, but... Yeah. And you know what? Give Belle another solo moment. She deserves it. It's Absolutely. her story. It ties everything together. It's the perfect song. Right? And I'm thrilled that Tony Braxton was the one to debut the song in the show as well. That's even more special. I got iconic really it is iconic and um there is a performance uh that's recorded for tv i want to say it was on the rosie o'donnell show i believe go check it out on youtube if you haven't already and yeah it's i'm just, sure if you google tony braxton a change in me something will pop up absolutely wink oh yeah for sure <laughs> Well, Tony would become one of the last to play Belle at the Palace Theatre because 
The production actually transferred over to the Lentfontaine Theatre on November 11, 1999, with an official opening date of November 16, 1999, due to Disney eyeballing a production of Aida to move into the Palace Theatre. Okay, so now it's time to talk about my favorite thing ever, stunt casting. We should just make this a segment for the next season. Stunt casting with Chrissy. Ding. Anyways, so there was a lot of stunt casting going on for uh, the Broadway company throughout the years. Notably, Deborah Gibson, uh, Debbie Gibson, Donnie Osman. Donnie Osman. Donnie Osman. He played Gaston, I believe. Was he actually, uh, I think he came back for like one performance at the end. It might have been the last performance. I'm not How too sure. How did I not know this? You didn't I, know that? I feel like it's because like anytime somebody mentions Donnie Osmond, I'm like, I Joseph. wore my coat. <laughs> Listen, Donnie Osmond in that wig and Joseph. Could get it. Anything he wants. Anything. No, that's awful. Respectfully. Respectfully with Respectfully, consent. Respectfully with consent. I just really love Donnie Osmond in that way. It's a go for me. It's a go. In today's segment of exposing yourself on the internet with Jocelyn. <laughs> um. Another favorite of mine, Christy Carlson Romano, who, if you don't know, she was in um, uh, Phil of the Future. Was it Phil? No. <laughs> yes. No. What was Christy Carlson Romano in? <gasps> Even Stevens. Christy Carlson Romano is in. Um, I just said it. Oh, my God, Jocelyn. What did I just say? Even Stevens, Phil of the Future. Thank you. She does YouTube Even stuff. Even Stevens. Even Stevens. She did Even Stevens. She played Ren. I remember that. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about, but good job, girl. You go. Grew up with three channels. Three channels. I can't believe you've never seen Even Stevens. No? I don't think I'm missing out that much, but... <laughs> oh, no. It was like the Disney Channel Golden Age. You should watch it on Disney+. Plus. Anyways, so she did the role as well, which was like an awesome stunt cast for Disney Channel. Uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler. Sigler? I always me- mess up her name. I think it's Sigler. She was also a uh, Belle at one point. Paige Davis. Um, Trading Spaces, was it? One of those house shows back in the day that I used to watch. She did that as well. And also celebrities, including baby Nick Jonas, who played uh, Chip. Love that for him. And Andrea McArdle. I actually know. know who both those people are. Oh, gee, Annie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of people, even like big Broadway names who uh, did the show back in the day before they became big Broadway names. And Hugh Jackman also did uh, the role of, was it Gaston or was it The Beast? I, he mm. could do either, but Gaston seems kind of perfect That's what I'm for saying. Him. I think it was Gaston. He did it back in the day, like in 99 in Australia. So like this show has had stunt casts all around, but my favorite stunt casting of all time is Annalise Vanderpool, who starred as Chelsea in That's So Raven. Uh, she would unfortunately become the final bell on Broadway as the production closed after a total of 5,461 performances on July 29th, 2007. The Broadway production initially closed to make way for Disney's next stage adaptation, The Little Mermaid. It was believed that having two Disney princess films on Broadway at the same time would divide audiences, makes sense. However, that musical did not do so well on Broadway, and if you want us to release the episode we previously recorded and didn't release, <clears throat> let us know, because we have that too. <laughs> Our backlogs of pre-recorded things are... Oh, it's crazy. Wild. So, 
Anyway, let us know in the comments. Now, there was actually rumors back in 2008 to bring back the show for the holiday season, but obviously that didn't go through. And the last we've heard about a revival on Broadway was in 2019. So who knows what the future will hold for Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, but if you happen to be in the UK or are planning a visit, a gorgeous revamped version of the show is now on tour across the UK and Ireland, so definitely check that out if you can. Alright guys, and in most recent news about Beauty and the Beast, ABC is releasing a Beauty and the Beast anniversary special, and they have since announced a fabulous cast for it. It's gonna be... Amazing. I'm really excited for that one. I love Beauty and the Beast, as uh, we already know from this episode. But yeah, I can't wait to watch that. We'll have to watch it together somehow. Yeah, you know, we're really looking forward to it. And, you know, I was kind of upset, like after Angela Lansbury passed away, I was really kind of sad about the fact that they're doing an anniversary and she wouldn't be there. And then they were like, you know what, girl, it's okay. Shania Twain's going to be Mrs. Potts. And I was like, I'm fine with that. And I don't know if y'all follow Shania Twain on Instagram, maybe just me, but she did write a lovely little post about, mm. you know, how honored she was to be doing it. And yeah, basically if Shania Twain's involved, I'm there. No questions asked. Yeah. Yeah, no, me too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the history behind Disney's Beauty and the Beast on Broadway and how Disney decided to make a splash on Broadway. Well, no, not a splash. That is a make a splash. <laughs> that is another Disney movie. And now movie. <laughs> we can't stop making Little Mermaid puns. Um, but it is crazy when you look back at the history of something, how it starts from something totally different. So like this came from us chatting about the Little Mermaid and how that changed the future of Disney films and then they were like let's give it a go with another one and that one became even more popular than The Little Mermaid and then they were like well let's turn it into a Broadway thing and now Disney has had so much success on Broadway over the years and I really do enjoy going to see a Disney Broadway show I think that is so much fun um a little hard to enjoy because there's so many kids yelling in the audience but you know what still really fun <laughs> that's kind of why newsies is like the best disney broadway is, show because yeah. you don't have a bunch of little kids who are there who have seen the animated movie right. because the newsies movie is so niche that people who grew up with it are now our mm. age but like newsies was the first show i ever saw more than once because i loved it so much so like disney on broadway I'm a fan. They do put on really great productions. And if you haven't seen any, I mean, The Lion King is still running. Aladdin is still running on Broadway. Uh, Frozen closed during the pandemic, sadly. I thought that would do better than it did because the animated film is so popular. I've also just not seen uh, or watched anything of Frozen, the stage adaptation. But I'm just surprised. But maybe people who saw it aren't surprised that it closed pretty early. Funny that you mention it because I read this tweet about the Lion King literally the other mm. day. I can't remember who did it, but he's like, he's on theater Twitter, but he's also like a theater human. Oh my gosh. I can't remember his name, but I'll remember it later and be like, oh my gosh, why did I forget? But he tweeted, he was like, so often when people talk about like the best Broadway opening numbers, they don't mention the Lion King. And it is literally, and he was like, it's the best Broadway opening number. And 
he hasn't seen the lot. He says like something. He's like, I have not seen the Lion King since it opened, but I still remember the opening numbers super vividly. It's incredible. Don't they also come through the audience in that? I believe. I don't know. I've never oh. seen it. Like even as a kid, the Lion King wasn't like me neither. It really. I was kind of traumatized by the whole trampled to death by wildebeest thing that I couldn't <laughs> enjoy the rest of the movie. Yeah, no, that <laughs> messed me up. That and Bambi really messed me up. I think I've seen Bambi once in my life. And, like, I have never watched it again since. I'm pretty sure it's the reason I take, you know, anxiety medication. <laughs> the reason, it's the reason we're on SSRIs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm positive Disney is to blame for the amount of, you know, panic attacks I've taken in my life, to be quite honest. I'm traumatized by half their films still. <laughs> and the children in the audience who watch shows, I'm, I'm triggered by that. This relates well. to Beauty and the Beast, so I can share it here with you guys. <laughs> Y'all know there's this beautiful Christmas movie. It's called Bell's Enchanted Christmas. And oh. It's like a Beauty and the Beast spinoff. It's my favorite Christmas. Christmas movie. It's on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it now. But the creepy organ guy in that gave me nightmares when I was a kid and I watched it again recently like last Christmas and I was literally it was like this intense like visceral fear inside of me from Mm. like my childhood every time he was on screen it's like oh my god no like I vaguely remember it you know what I also did not remember I don't remember there being a time when I watched Beauty and the Beast where human again was not in it but I know that I did because I went to the 10 year anniversary of the film and I remember that like so clearly because they had human again in that movie but I don't remember that just not being in it like that scene is so iconic but for people who you know this was only what four years uh three years after the film came out yeah three years so like they're in the audience and they're like oh this is a new song not knowing that there is an entire scene in the film that was just like removed that's kind of cool that is really cool i also liked what you were saying earlier i learned something new that they put this broadway show together using storyboard which is such a disney thing to do considering it's based on an animated movie but like that's such a cool visual way to put it together I'd, i'd actually that's something I'd want to see in like an archive kind of situation, the original storyboards for Beauty and the Beast, the Broadway musical. Do you, speaking of Belle, do you remember when we did a princess party and you were Belle and I was Cinderella? Yes. And uh, there was a child there who was like, how did you get your dress? And then I went into this elaborate story about how the wardrobe had my dress and the child was like, uh, I wasn't asking you, I was asking Cinderella. she was like i was talking to cinderella is so snarky and i was like oh my fairy godmother made it for me because luckily that's in cinderella's plot chrissy had to kind of make something up she's like yeah the the wardrobe made it up for me which is true but you know you like you had to improvise girl and then she was like i was talking to cinderella went for my throat i was like my lord she did Although it's not as bad as the time that we were Elsa no, and Anna. We were Belle and, and Cinderella when you threw up. No, no, no. I was I was going back to when somebody I had a child ask me repeatedly why I killed you. Yes. But Elsa, why did you kill Anna? 
oh, it was an accident. Yeah, but why did you do it? And then it? I was like, yeah, Elsa, why? <laughs> um, so I taught the kids that accidents sometimes happen, but you say sorry for them. I don't know. And I was like, I forgive my sister. It was a good teaching moment. It was a very beautiful moment. But yeah, like Chrissy said, it does not top the time. We're Belle and Cinderella. So after that exchange had happened, I literally threw up. We were doing she bolted Zoom parties. on me. Thank God it was over Zoom. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I was just like, I'm going to puke. So like, I left the Zoom call, I ran, and I threw up in my full Cinderella costume. Like you literally, I saw you bolt and I was just standing there staring at the screen for a second and I was like, what is happening? Is it faulty Wi-Fi? But you looked like panicked when you bolted. So... I really just didn't know what was happening. Anyways. I was already committed to throwing up. So I literally turned off the camera, ripped my wig off of my head and my dress halfway down and made it to the bathroom just in the nick of time. The nick of time. Thankfully, it was the end of our party, though. So like, it was fine. It's midnight somewhere. (laughs) Anyways. Friends, this was our last show history episode of season three. I actually, I can't believe it. We have one, two more, two more episodes after this, and then we are wrapping up. It's really hard to believe that one, we've even had a third season. (laughs) That's crazy. I say that every time. I'm like, nine, like we just hit 90 episodes too. And I was like, really? (laughs) Yeah. This is our 91st episode, and, and we have like, what, 25,000 downloads? Now? Almost, yeah. We're almost there. Yeah. That's like insane to me. <gasps> Who are you, magical people? We joke, but we are so grateful for all of your support. And um, yeah, yeah, we couldn't do this without any of you sending us messages, telling us how much you enjoyed an episode, commenting on our stuff, liking our posts, retweeting us when a new episode comes out. It helps us so much to uh, just have the inspiration to continue doing this because it takes a lot of work behind the scenes for us to put all of this together. And one episode can take us like three, four hours, sometimes even just a full day of writing and re uh redoing some parts when we record it and, and all recording that, and editing and yeah you know chrissy crazy. does so much design stuff like there's a lot a lot of work that goes into it uh which is why we are going to take a nice little hiatus over the holidays to enjoy so we have a couple more episodes coming out to end the season like we said uh in the meantime if you miss us all of our episodes are wherever you like to listen to podcasts, and we just released merch. So uh, if you're holiday shopping for the theater fan in your life, you check can, us out. You can check us out in our link tree. It's at the bottom. If you scroll down, you'll see merch. Also, if you put in the code EARLYBIRD at checkout, you'll get 10% off. <gasps> Woo! Woo! So go do that. Grab yourself a cute merch item. There's a lot of really fun ones that we put our heads together and really like tackled down to create and we had fun with it. And there's one that literally has our heads together. It literally does. It's our logo. It has our faces. I ordered that one and I don't know how I feel about walking around with a shirt with my face on it, but I'm okay with it. I am going to go for it and um, be as vain as possible for like the two hours that I will wear it. (laughs) 
I'm going to wear it all the time around Did my house. I'm going to be like, I don't need to do dishes. Check out my podcast. Did you know? I don't need to do dishes. I have a podcast. I have a podcast. <laughs> Clean the bathroom? No. <laughs> we don't get paid for the podcast, but we have one. And it's doing quite Thanks well. Thanks to our amazing <laughs> listeners. Seriously, thank you all so much. We hope you had an awesome uh, American Thanksgiving if you live in America. And yeah, we will see you in our next episode. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. Together we are Breaking, breaking the, the Curtain. curtain. <laughs> I don't know why I sang it today. We're mixing it up a little bit. Uh, and just thanks so much for being awesome. And um, we'll see you soon. I'm trying soon. to think yeah. of something Beauty and the Beastie. Uh, you guys can be our guests anytime oh, here at Breaking the Curtain. That was a good one. That was a good one. It just came to me. <laughs> My brain went soup de jour. <laughs> All right. Bye, bye. y'all. Love ya.